0: is reeking of opulence this week as we enter the world of jewel orchids. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jane Perrone, host of On the Ledge Podcast, the houseplant podcast that gets you up close and personal with the world of houseplants from the comfort of your living room or wherever you choose to listen. In this week's show, I'm learning about the world of jewel orchids with Reshma Lobo of Ugly Plantling. I visited her home in London to discover the sparkling world of these tiny plants and how you can make them at home in your home. Plus, I answer a question about planting a selection of plants in expanded clay pebbles. Precious Kitty Cat in the US gave a five-star review for the show. Thank you for that. Jess from Brum also gave a five-star review. Brum is a UK word for Birmingham in the UK. And <laughs> Jess writes, Be careful, may contain brainwashing. I've just come back from the garden centre with a strawberry saxifrage and a Hoya Carnosa a tricolour, and I'm starting to think I should limit my intake. Well, yes, this is an issue, as is well known. I apologise, Jess, but what can I say? Both smashing plant choices, so I hope they grow well for you. Thank you to Corbin, Jordan, Kira and Timea who have all become patrons recently. If you want to find out how to join the clan of Patreon subscribers, check out the show notes. All the details are there, but the TLDR is commit to paying around five dollars, five pounds, and for that, You get access to two exclusive extra episodes a month, a December mail out through the post and the chance to support your favourite planty podcast. When it comes to jewel orchids, it's the leaves and not the flowers that are the star of the show. Get them in the right light and those leaves just sparkle but I know from listeners that not everyone has been able to master taking care of these rather special members of the orchid family. I visited Reshma Lobo of Ugly Plantling in London to find out more about this fascinating group of plants and why she is determined to produce and sell jewel orchids in the most ethical and sustainable way possible. But first, I had to find out what exactly is a jewel orchid. Here's Reshma to explain.
1: What is a jewel orchid? Is it even an orchid? So a lot of people have actually asked me that when I was at the Garden Museum last weekend. And I thought, oh, wow, people... You know, it it opened my mind to a whole different aspect of the fact that how much is out there in the plant world that we don't know about? Some of us do, some of us don't, but I thought it was very cool, the fact that people just said, is that actually an orchid?
0: Yeah. Um, I guess so, common names are confusing because yeah. there are plants that are called begonias that aren't begonias. Yes, and so we all yes. think, is, are you calling it an orchid? Because it actually yeah. is, there's or a, just... <laughs> pe- there's something on up Begonia, Peperomia?
1: No, Peperomia.
0: Pe- oh, pelionia. Pe- pelionia. Yeah, Pelionia. That's often what called, called begonia, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. yeah. Anyway. It's so confusing, but...
1: Anyway, so coming back to, uh, what is a jewel orchid? They're orchids. They actually are. They are of the... Orchid is uh, a segment of the plant family. Uh, the, only, the big difference is that they actually grow on the ground. They don't normally grow on trees or branches and at higher places. They actually just grow on the ground. Terrestrial orchids, that's what they are. But the beauty of them is that they're not, they're not as... The they're, they're flowers are not as stupendously beautiful or exciting, but it is the foliage. The foliage is just absolutely stunning. Each type of jewel orchid has a different type of foliage. So an octoculus, for instance, has very deep black, burgundy, purplish, dark chocolate type of leaves. And then you've got these veins that look like burnt fire uh, or embers just running through. That's pretty exciting. Macaudeus is different. Ludicia has different um, growth pattern as well. And the leaf pattern is different. Dorsinia. And there's, there's just so many varieties. The problem is that most people actually don't know that there are all these varieties of plants and also all these varieties of jewel orchids. Um, so, the jewel orchids are basically your terrestrial orchids. Where does it grow? How does it grow? Well, it grows in the forest floor, under the, you know, in the canopies of plants and trees, in the underbrush where you've got tons of leaf litter, and moss, and worms and things growing around. So, it's a very damp, very um, humid but also airy type of substrate that they actually get. And that's the sort of damp, but some moderate air movement type of environment that they grow
0: in. And is this in Southeast Asia? Like, um, is it spread across Southeast Asia or are there any particular places where they proliferate? There's actually different
1: types of jewel orchids in every single continent. Okay, maybe not Antarctica, obviously not Antarctica, but uh, throughout the tropics and subtropics. Uh, including, you know, South America and North America, there there are uh, certain families and species of jewel orchids everywhere. Are is every single jewel orchid as beautiful? No. <laughs> Can you actually cultivate and grow at home every type of jewel orchid you come across? No. So there's only a small subsection of them that are actually in cultivation, and you are able to cultivate long term in a home environment or in the lab environment or a greenhouse environment. Um, but most of these types of jewel orchids, they just grow in nature. Uh, some of them you may not even notice, even if you're right on top of them, because you know this beautiful foliage that we admire so much. why did it evolve like that? It's camouflaged. they 're just hidden in the dry mm. leaves and in the rocks that they are in. you, you don't even sometimes you you look at in situ pictures of these, which I'll send to you by the way, and you think, "Where is the orchid?" <laughs> They're like, "Oh, there it is." <laughs> you know because it's, 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 it's hidden in, in its environment um, and What it uses as camouflage is what we admire the most about it.
0: Presumably, they do; they obviously do flower, but the flowers are not the main focus. Or is there a certain appeal to the flowers too?
1: Oh gosh, the thing is, the flowers are so intricate and so beautiful, except they're so tiny you can't see them. (laughs) (laughs) So you need a hand lens to admire the flowers. But yes, so right here over here, you can see I've got a Platanthera maculata flowering, and this is the season, by the way. This is when most of your Ludesias at home also should be putting out, but um December Jan is generally mm. when they flower. They they flower at the cool season. So um wintertime is when they generally flower. And uh yeah, they, they, they flower, but you can see the leaves are so much more beautiful than the flowers. The flowers are intricate, it's it's just so tiny. We're mm. not I I suppose we're just not able to admire and appreciate them. But actually, if you look at photos of the Noctopolis, you'd think there's a fairy there with a very frilly dress. (laughs) Uh, You know, a Mm. very white, frilly dress. You know, it's one of those things. It's beautiful. It's just too tiny.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And I've had lots of questions from listeners over the years about jewel orchids. So at some point, we want to get into the specifics of how to look after them. But I wanted to ask you first about the different species that you can grow in a domestic setting. I think Ludicia discolour is probably the one that most of us will be familiar with and the one that's probably the mm-hmm. most widely available. Uh, and I know that you're doing great work in terms of hopefully making more species available. What are the, some of the other species that we should be looking out for? Yeah.
1: Ah, gosh. i just <laughs> in the canister. <laughs> Where do I start? Um, so, Ludicia, the great advantage of Ludicia discolor is that you don't necessarily need a terrarium environment or a high humidity environment. They grow quite well within a household humidity level. Um, if there's one thing about all these other species that we're talking about, it's that they do need a high humidity. We'll get back to that in a minute, because it's damn easy to make that happen. But what sort of species will grow well at home, given that slightly higher humidity that they need? Um, uh, or sometimes pronounced as Enectoculus as well. These species have a lot, there's a lot of species in this genera, Enectoculus is the genera uh, genus, and uh, there's loads of species um, in that genus. Uh, most of them will do well, if you give it the high humidity environment, um, Anectochylus, um, Platythelus, Gudiera species, Freydart this year is another very rare species, actually, but there's loads. Anectochylus actually has loads of species within that within genus anyway, so at each species or hybrid of it actually looks different to each other, so it's quite attractive. Everyone knows Macordus, Patola of course, and Macodus Sandariana, Macodus um Dossinia marmorata, which is a slightly bigger and darker variation of, um, or it's not a variation, it's a totally different species, but it looks very similar. It's evolved to look kind of similar to the Macodus. Um, so these are the different species that you can very comfortably and very easily,
0: honestly, grow at home. So. Um, we'll have to provide a list of those in the show notes because yeah, 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 <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll do Absolutely. a list so that everyone can can uh, find out more about those because uh, sometimes the names just slip past our ears. But yes, that's really yes. useful to and, know, and
1: it's also very difficult because you re- when you're when you're reading a word a name. Latin names you think it's pronounced in a certain way but when someone else says it the way
0: <laughs> tell me think, about it yeah <laughs> what,
1: what was that do I know it um, yeah and and exactly. I, I'm not claiming to pronounce anything properly by the way
0: it's absolutely fine <laughs> there is no wrong answer so,
1: no because it's a proper noun <laughs> can be pronounced any way you want them to be but here you can see in front of me so for instance uh, I was talking about high humidity environment I've literally got moss sitting in a wine glass and a jewel orchid growing in that wine glass with a smoothie Starbucks plastic cup thrown over it, which has this little bit of a hole for ventilation. It's as simple as that. And here's a vase, a drinking glass of water maybe, with a bit of sellotape on top and a few holes poked through. It's as simple as giving them the light that they need, which is all around us anyway, um, and, and just giving them that little bit of uh, high humidity and... comfortable if you're comfortable in an environment in terms of temperature the plants are comfortable as well
0: so rolling back you are obviously you've you've gone quite far down the road with these jewel orchids you're now tissue culturing them but where did this all start as a fascination for you is it sort of a lifelong thing or how how did you first find discover and love jewel orchids
1: um so oh gosh i don't even know anymore Uh, As you can see, I I have a lot of different types of plants at home. Um, Some of the more common ones and some not so. But I also have... I've always taken an interest in the not so common ones, the quirky ones. Because I want to know how they grow and what does it look like. I like um, ferns that look like cactus. Mm -hmm. And I like (laughs) cacti that look like leafy green vegetables. And (laughs) so I, I, I like that sort of... The fact that we live in this world that has, gosh, so much variety. There's so much nature around us that I just... I've always been quite drawn and oriented towards that. Um, I've always grown uh, plants. Well, I grew up in South India... And everyone's got a garden, everyone's... Mm-hmm. And I don't mean garden with a pretty lawn and a couple of flowers. You know, like It's just wild. It's everything. It's, there's, there's a mango tree, there's a coconut tree, there's bananas growing there. And in between, there are some flowers as well and some vegetable patch behind it. And it's that sort of thing that you... And everything grows together. There's, there's different varieties and different types of plants that grow together. So I've, that's the environment I grew up in. When I moved here to the UK... Imagine my horror when I realized that you can't actually grow anything beyond summer.
0: (laughs) Yes, I can imagine that.
1: (laughs) It was, because back home, you eat a mango and you throw a seed, and a couple of months later, you already have a sapling over there. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't even do anything to it. But over here, you need to do a lot of tending for the plants. So I had to actually find ways. Because I can't grow anything outside, I had to find different creative ways to grow things inside. I, it was just a natural progression from that just discovering new types of plants, different varieties of plants and different uh, environments that they grow in and just experimenting that's sort of how it really mm-hmm. originally started and I didn't even start with a focus on jewel orchids or anything like that I, of course, like everyone, love um, uh, ludicio uh, and Ludicia alba uh, plants and they're beautiful and then I thought, oh jewel orchids, really? is that literally just the only thing available out there? Um, and you start researching and you find out more and you read more academic papers but I I am a bit of a geek anyway. (laughs) So when I do Google search I look at academic papers I look at images I use terms like in situ which basically means in the original space in the original situation so to speak. Um, So looking at all these things you just sort of pick up a lot of stuff Um, and then Um, slowly just transition to uh, just reading more and understanding more about tissue culture, plant tissue culture, animal tissue culture, how these things work, how they impact our lives, what are the different things. I mean, I was telling you earlier, ginseng, for instance, the world's ginseng comes from tissue culture. You would never even know this if someone hadn't actually told you that that powder of ginseng that everyone uh, in South Korea, for instance, literally everyone in South Korea has it for their health benefits every single day, actually comes from tissue culture. Half the food we eat, you know, fruit at least, bananas and pineapples, corn, a lot of this stuff actually is tissue culture. Not to be confused with genetically modified food, by the way. It's just uh, tissue culture. So then begs the question, what is tissue culture? Well, it's basically plants grown in test tubes. How do you do that then? Well, you take a piece of plant tissue called an explant, you put it in the nutrient solution and hormonal solution that instigates it or induces it to grow shoots. And you think, oh, that looks pretty good then. And then you take it out of it, put it in another nutrient solution and hormonal solution to induce it to start growing roots. Then you slice it, uh, divide it up and start planting it, replating it in a very secure environment where it can grow some more. And then that's ready to be transplanted, whether that's food whether that's an ornamental plant, it doesn't matter what type of plant it is. This is the general tissue culture process that happens. And then it was just a question of trying to apply that to jewel orchids. Now, why am I doing specifically with jewel orchids? Now, we know that any beautiful thing in the wild is threatened in its habitat because of humans. Anything that's pretty and we want in our homes... Uh, there will be somebody out there who will go into the wild and poach it from the wild to meet the customer demand and to make a living, presumably. Um, I want a clean conscience with my orchids. I don't <laughs> want endangered species that have actually been pulled out and poached and sent to me, shipped across the world. I want to make sure that what I'm growing is ethically sourced, grown sustainably, uh, ex- And and the way for me to do that and find that assurance for myself, but also for other people when I start sharing and selling this is uh, to make sure that, um, how how do I make sure it's Mm -hmm. ethically sourced? The only answer is to meet the scale and demand that people would want of these things, it's to do it through tissue culture. Not to say it's easy, but it's it, so it fascinating
0: is, that you've gone down that route and i mean it, i'm really pleased that that you and other people uh, other growers i've met are going all out to project, provide ethical sustainable Plants that are interesting. In this country, in the UK, obviously we've had a Brexit situation which yeah. has kind of shaken things it, it, yes, up a bit in terms exactly, of yeah. the supply chain for lots of things, yeah. including plants. Um, and it seems to make sense to me to have lots of people doing interesting things like you're doing. Obviously, there must have been lots of challenges along the way, but the end result is your. Um, company uh, ugly plantling and you're selling these beautiful tissue cultured jewel orchids if somebody's starting out would you recommend that they go for something like ludicia discolour or presumably provided you just provide those basic needs of humidity and the moss substrate is the world your oyster (laughs) Is is there a sort of a level of difficulty with the plants you're selling this might sound controversial but Go ahead. <laughs> I actually
1: find growing these jewel orchids way easier than ludicia. Oh, you interesting. You wouldn't believe the number of ludicias I've killed. <laughs> uh, or, or at least have died in my care, let's say, uh, not actively killed. But um, I actually find these way easier to manage and control um, compared to ludicias, which are thick stand. Mm. Um, so th- they're all generally easy to take care of, including Lodicia, as long as you meet certain thresholds in terms of uh, humidity and watering and um, temperature and light. They're all relatively easy to take care of. Someone starting out, what would I say? I would say, go buy one. See if you can meet the kind of conditions uh, it actually wants to be in. Mm -hmm. And if you can, uh, keep it alive go buy another one. (laughs) If it dies, go buy another one anyway so that you can learn more about it Mm. and see what works. Because the only way you can actually learn more and more is through failure. If you pass the first time, if you are successful the first time, whether it's in growing jewel orchids or in life, what have you really learned? (laughs)
0: More from Reshma shortly, but now it's time for question of the week, which comes from Laura. And it concerns expanded clay pebbles or leca. lecker, I still don't know how to pronounce it. I don't think it really matters, does it? You know what I'm talking about, those lightweight, brown, porous bits of clay that you can grow houseplants in and use for all kinds of different things. Now, Laura wants to grow several houseplants in leca together different house plants, and is wondering if that is something that is possible. Is there some reason why I couldn't? She asks. Well, this is a good one. I mean, you seem to be very concerned, Laura, about the water requirements of the plants. I think you've got a good chance provided that the plants' light requirements are similar. So if you put something like cactus in there along with a maidenhair fern. That's probably not going to work for a number of reasons. One, because their light requirements are just so different and you wouldn't be able to put that pot somewhere where you could please both of them at the same time. Obviously, if you're using Laker and you've either got a reservoir of water below or perhaps you're soaking the Laker every now and again with water, with a uh, fertilizer diluted into that, the plants will be able to regulate themselves there'll be plenty of air around the roots. There shouldn't be too much problem. The only problem I can think is if you've got a a plant that's got a really meaty root system along with a plant that's got a very delicate fibrous root system, whether they will both be able to coexist, whether one might outperform the other. And I think this is a general problem when you do grouped plantings, usually in the end, something will help compete the other plants and do better and start to take over. This is just the way it goes. It may take six months, it may take six years, but if you do a grouped planting, it's not something that's going to last forever. And I think the best you can do is try to match up the kind of plants that you choose. And you can make life easier in terms of breaking down different groups of plants and changing things around by keeping the plants individually in their pots. Obviously, that can be soil or it could be just pure Laker. And then having them submerged together in a bigger pot in Laker. I hope that makes sense. So individually potted, but then placed into the Laker and surrounded by Laker so that If you do find that the plants are just not working, it's easier then just to break the whole thing down, remove the plant that's not doing well and switch it out for something else rather than having to untangle all the root systems. Obviously, even individually potted, eventually the roots may come out of the bottom of that pot and start to merge with other roots. But hopefully it just gives you that ability to take something out that's not working a bit more easily. One other thing that I'm just going to throw into the mix in case anyone wants to give this a try. If you look at any of the classic Dr. David Hesseon houseplant expert books, they have a section at the front which shows different group planting arrangements. And one of those is the po a fleur. Ooh, fancy. We're going into French. <laughs> and all this is, is some kind of container with several houseplants and sunk into the substrate. Now, probably in Hesseon's time, this would have been soil, but of course we could use Laker or Pond or whatever. Sunk into that substrate is a sort of a test tube. It, it could be anything, actually. You could use any plastic tube um, I mean, I'm thinking I, I've in the past, I've bought vanilla pods that come in a little clear plastic tube. Anyway, you submerge that into the substrate and fill it with water. And then you can have a fresh flower that is part of the arrangement that you can replace when it needs replacing. So it just adds a different element. It's something that could look very naff and dated, but I think that you guys out there could make something really cool, a modern 2021 poe et fleur. And the things that Hesseon suggests, well, it's all fairly conservative, daffs in spring, roses in summer, and holly sprigs in winter. But I think you could do something much more inventive. Actually, the pictures show uh, a, a round tub with um, sansevieria, maranta, epipremnum, hedera, and palm with a chrysanth flower in the middle. And then there's another one with a carnation in the middle and a parlour palm, maranta and heterohelix. But you could do anything with this. You could use any bloom that you fancied and I think it could look really quite nice. I will link to an article from Gardens Illustrated that brings this trend rather more up to date and gives you some more ideas on this, but I'd love to see your poe Fleur. Have I inspired you? Please drop me a line to ontheledgepodcast at gmail.com equally. If you have a question that you would like me to answer, that is the correct email to use. Back to my interview with Reshma of Ugly Plantling and some of you sent in questions for Reshma. So I'm trying to make sure I get all of them answered for you. Um, I did have a question from somebody who had, um, had a problem with some rotting of, uh, a Macodes um, Patola basically it sounds like it was in a t- closed terrarium and then the stem broke off. I mean, is, is rotting, is, is, can you go too far with the humidity and moisture with these plants? Is there a risk that they kind of, uh, become too moist? Or or what what else could be going on when your plant rots?
1: If the roots don't have space to breathe and they're clogged Mm -hmm. with water or too much uh, soggy moss, too much soggy substrate, the roots have no place to breathe. And that's a recipe for root rot. But why does root rot happen? Actually, basically, it's the bacteria and the germs that have just grown in there and penetrated the root and destroyed it or penetrated the stem and destroyed it right Uh, but why is the why was the bacteria growing there in the first place because there was no airflow because the substrate wasn't drying enough and that was that's a recipe ripe for anything moldy right you leave something in the fridge closed it will grow mold (laughs) and that's despite controlling the temperature and Mm -hmm. keeping it in the dark place and all that why wouldn't that happen in a light situation where it's actually getting all the nutrients that it wants to, um, that that mold wants to grow in. So um, I think the solution is really simple. I wouldn't recommend having these in a closed terrarium. I think there should always be a little bit of airflow always for for most of these plants. Uh, doesn't need to be a whole lot. In fact, probably not too much either. Just a little bit of, like I said, um, a, a coffee cup. You know, one of those Starbucks plastic smoothie thingies that you get on top, mm-hmm. you know, something like that works really fine because it gives a little bit of an opening for airflow, moderate amount of airflow that it does get, but it also keeps the humidity high. So if there's root rot, can you save the plant? Snip it off, See, wait for it to color, uh, See if you can either plunk it in water and get it to root again or plunk it in moss or some um, uh, substrate of your choice and see if you can get it to root again. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. If it does root, put it back in your original substrate and uh um or or moss or terrarium and just, so uh, is the,
0: is moss the best substrate really for a lot of these um these jewel orchids? Is, is it the thing that grows best and how do you prepare the moss? Is there anything you need to do to the moss when you get it before you plant up? It's um so I wouldn't blanket say that moss is the best
1: substrate. So I'll show you a couple of in situ pictures and you can put it on the uh notes sure. as well. Um, When you look at the pictures of how these plants grow, there's a lot of leaf litter on the ground. That gives it coverage for the roots and rhizomes, but actually it's a very airy and very open type of um, substrate to be growing in. And that's what I'm trying to do with the moss. Now, I don't use dry, rehydrated moss. Uh, I actually use living moss. So because I give it the right sort of humidity and light, uh, the moss is actually growing with the plants and they're having this some some form of a symbiosis over there and moss obviously because it's not dry moss it's not getting cloggy it's not getting dry it's not um it's actually living it's growing and it's making all that space around the roots so the roots are getting the kind of uh um, aeration that they need Mm. as well as the moisture that they need so I've actually not had any root rot. Uh, except the ludicias of course, because they were in <laughs> substrate. And for some reason, I could yeah. never get that right uh, with substrate. So for my purposes, I use moss because, one, it actually looks quite attractive because the moss is living, it's growing, it's green, it's pink, uh, so on and so forth. Um, and it's growing with the thing. And uh, secondly, the, mo- uh, the moss sort of regulates the moisture levels around the root, so to speak. So I personally find that quite useful and uh, easy to do. But you do you. You do work with the substrate that you're most comfortable in, that you understand the most, and you can um, give the plant what it needs. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, I think we love to, we un, there's this unset expectation that we give what we can to the plant and we expect the plant to survive no matter what we give them. But it should actually be the other way around, right? It's like, w- what sort of environment does the plant want to be mm. in? And we should try to give that plant that type of environment, whether dual orchids or not. It, just try and give the plants the sort of environment they actually need mm. to thrive. And, and they will. So that's, that's essentially what I do. So
0: Awesome. I'm just going to consult my notes uh, again because my brain has slightly stopped working now uh this is another question to do with that i've had from a listener to do with problems with mm-hmm. dual orchids um and this concerns somebody experiencing powdery white spots on their ludicrous discolor which sounds to me like mildewy kind of symptoms but what uh, what other things can go wrong what might powdery white spots be i, I dread to think whether mealybugs are a possibility with this Uh, plant?
1: If if it's London water that's flushed on the leaf and dried Uh and left to bark, that
0: could very well be just that. Should you use rainwater on these plants? Is it better if you can get hold of it? Yes,
1: Uh, rainwater or some kind of filtered water is fine, distilled water is fine, Um, although if you're always using distilled water you might need to think about some kind of feed and nutrients to it. But I I try and use rainwater. I live in the flat, but I'm lucky that in this particular flat that I'm living in, I have a bit of a balcony outside. My neighbors probably absolutely hate me, but I've got tubs and buckets and grow trays. (laughs) You've got a great
0: setup there. I love (laughs) it. Set
1: up over there just to catch the rainwater, tip it into the tub. And so whenever I need water for my jewel orchids or my other plants, I just use the rainwater. Um, I only use tap water when there is. The, it hasn't rained for seven weeks and I haven't managed to catch enough water. Then I use tap water, but not all the time as tap water. So tap water, I think, is bad enough in the best of circumstances. Mm, mm. But plants in general, some, have a, some are hardier than others, but they all will suffer in the long term mm. when when the soil becomes too alkaline because of the hard water that we use. Um again easily remedied if you if you put your mind to it, but um yeah. But coming back to your question on what yeah. powdery even mildew, <laughs> if it is mildew, um I've had mildew on my begonias last year and mm. it was a painful experience that I at least twenty different species of begonias uh had to be binned in the end because no matter how much you chop it, how much uh how much treatment you do, what type of treatment you do, for some reason it just keeps coming back because, again, it's fungus, right? Mm. And if there's a mold spore in the air, if it settles on a leaf, that's it. That's, That's all it takes. And no matter how much cleaning you do, it just keeps coming back.
0: Mm. um I, I feel your pain i it's, that's the only time i've ever you know really been devastated to throw things out but just begonia powdery mildew is it just, does
1: not go no it does not go it just People say spray with this. it doesn't yeah, it just keeps work. infecting all the other plants as yeah, well yeah yeah and then you've got to cut I mean. your losses and say <laughs> that okay this is it mm. i'm so traumatized from the experience i don't have that many begonias yeah. anymore only
0: about five or six touch wood I, okay. my current begonias have not got any mildew yeah. long may that continue but yeah it's a pro- but presumably any plant that's perhaps living in a slightly higher humidity situation has the potential yeah. with no airflow with, no air with yes. the, yeah particularly yeah. when there's air, limited airflow i mean yeah yeah it's I mean, what about pests? Are there, are there things that like to snack on dual uh, orchids? Snails absolutely love them. Oh, that's a pain. And they go <laughs> chomping down on them,
1: <laughs> chomping down on the leaves. Uh, so if you're using moss, you've got to make sure that you right. prep it and clean it. Uh, how, do you, and pl- how do you clean it? What's your process? Uh, um, hydrogen peroxide. You know, any old has hydro- food food-grade hydrogen mm. peroxide diluted to the right strength with water. I soak the moss for a good 10 minutes rinse it out and then I use clean water again to soak it it out um, and rinse it out. And this is live moss and despite that treatment actually the moss does recover Mm. and it will Mm. continue to grow at least in my experience it does. Um, That's what I do to moss. I don't um, so I make sure that I I don't mind any kind of beneficial insects in the population that I grow and there's probably some beneficial insects in the moss um, and even in my little pots of um, jewel orchids, but I just make sure that um, the key pests that we worry about, things like thrips and the mites, spider mites, and snails are not. Mm. Um, if you've got a thrips infection, dump it, seriously, <laughs> it's not worth the hassle, <laughs> dump it, get a new one. Uh, because because again, going back to my point on cutting your losses, the thing is you're trying to save one plant, but if you've actually got loads of other plants, mm. You're just risking an infection, uh, yeah, a cross-infection with all your other plants. And that's a much bigger heartache mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. letting go of one plant. But but most of the others, are trip, um, sorry, not thrips, uh, spider mites are fine, mealybugs, things like that. I think you can easily treat mm-hmm. them with the mm-hmm. regular treatments. I haven't actually, uh, maybe I've been lucky in that sense that I haven't actually had any of my jewel orchids uh, get any sort of that sort of pest infections mm. the snails chomping down the side
0: <laughs> and have you found a, a sort of a place is there a is there a UK jewel orchid community out there are there fellow enthusiasts oh, or yeah. are you find finding yourself very much on your own in this particular fascination
1: I wish there was a community but I haven't actually I think jewel orchids in this range and variety that I offer is relatively new to the UK um, and I think That'll take time for people to, once they are exposed to all these different things, they try all these different, you know, growing all these different orchids. I think that's just going to take time for people to band together and compare notes and Mm. actually support each other in that sense. Um, There are, on Facebook, I've seen a couple of jewel orchid uh, groups, but they're European Posts. Uh, I mean, most of the uh, most of the people in those groups and the posts and everything—they're more uh, European than mm. UK-based. But um, I do know that there's loads of people who are getting to, getting into jewel orchids now, and they're discovering the joy mm. of jewel
0: orchids. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so it's just, it's I'm fun. just looking at you and seeing the light falling on your face, and it's reminded me that we haven't really gone into a detail about light with these plants. I mean, obviously, it goes without saying that they don't need to be in direct sunlight. Um, Not at all. (laughs) But I mean, is is it, and neither do they need to be in the darkest corner, but is there any kind of, I mean, I always find it terribly difficult with light because everyone's home is different, but how do you know that you've hit the sweet spot with, with, in terms of light, can you tell just by looking at the yeah. leaves and the right being, them being the right kind of color and consistency and texture?
1: Yeah, you, you can. but um, you know leaves don't react overnight. It takes a mm. time to, to adapt to a certain condition. But actually, there's a really easy way of thinking about these things as to what is the right circumstance and situation and location and environment for these plants, right? Think about the environment that they actually originate from. These are little understory plants that grow in the dappled shade of biggest shrubs and trees around them, in mostly tropical or subtropical climates and at different levels of elevation. So what does this mean? Breaking it down a little bit, little understory plants that grow in dappled shade. So they're growing quite close to the ground. They're growing in a very uh, dense uh, humid atmosphere over there because just because they're close to the ground, it's a damp. The ground mm-hmm. is always damp. It's in subtropical uh, or tropical regions, um, so it's quite damp over there. But thinking about all of this in terms of light, in terms of watering, in terms of humidity, and in terms of substrate, what that tells me is that the substrate should be something that's airy and damp, either moss or um, soil. Some Bark, anything that you put in there that's very loose and airy and just lets water flow through, but also holds moisture just doesn't get cloggy. What it also tells me is clearly they don't get a lot of light so dappled shade dappled light um, so which means translating that to a home environment, just a moderate light setup should be just fine. moderate or even low light setup should be just fine in if you're looking at actually looking at um Measuring light, I, I always measure light because what we perceive as light intensity is not the same thing as what plants mm. <laughs> um, identify as light intensity. So it's very easy to get actually on an Android or an Apple phone just downloading an app that gives you a light sensor. Um, and if you get one of those, it's damn easy because it tells you how much light per second is hitting that uh, sensor so when you hold it in the highlight situation
0: yeah. it shows you that beam of light that your phone is in right now is yeah. <laughs> it shows you it's yeah. quite high yeah. over here
1: but where the jewel markets are
0: yeah.
1: it's quite low yeah. and, and that's fine for them so anything that is micromole um, power value of uh, around 50 to 80 UMO mm-hmm. as they call it just works fine um, getting a light sensor is easy getting into this it's not very technical this is this is it's almost the same as saying okay what temperature is it how much mm-hmm. humidity is over here it's just the next step to say okay how much light is it actually mm-hmm. getting so uh, low light is fine moderate light is just fine um, humidity as I said it's 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 good to have higher humidity 70 to 80 percent is good but as I said it's very easy to actually fix it up that those plants get high humidity you don't need to raise the humidity of your whole cabinet or your whole house to cater to those little plants. It's just very easy. And then in terms of temperature, I've um, grown these from anywhere between 15, 16 degrees to even 38 degrees for short periods of time. Um, So in my experience, as long as it gets high humidity, you throw anything at it, it's actually very, very tolerant to that. So 2022, 23, is ideal because if you're comfortable they're comfortable Mm. but actually for short periods of time just the way that we can tolerate cold temperatures and very hot temperatures the plants can also tolerate cold temperatures and hot temperatures
0: and that's actually i mean that's the wonderful thing about being able to grow them in the way that you're growing them there and you know they're kind of buffered from temperature changes by being inside that glass vessel as well i mean in a way that makes life So much easier and presumably you you could go away for a week and leave that and it's going to be absolutely fine. Um,
1: One of the, well, I call it a tub. It's not actually a tub. It's one of those glass vase things. Um, All I've done is you can see I've put a bed of moss at the bottom and these are just growing in moss. And on the top, I generally just put cling film over it and poke a few holes and Mm. several holes for just, just some airflow. And that'll, be fine for a few weeks you can go away you can uh, it doesn't need watering doesn't need spritzing nothing just just and when do you water well when you actually see the moss looking a bit tired and it's beginning to dry a bit and then you just spray it some Mm -hmm. water
0: now i mustn't forget to ask these other questions that have come in um somebody wanted to know about pollination i mean what i do know about orchids is that they have very very tidy tiny seeds is, is, it, tiny. is it possible to pollinate jewel orchids or is there a better way to propagate obviously tissue culture being your yeah.
1: technically it is possible to propagate and i think ludicia for instance has big enough flowers that you can use so it basically has uh what's called an anther cap so the the flower is structured to have some kind of an overlip, lip um, and a couple of wings on the side okay if you if, if mm-hmm. you can sort of imagine yeah. that when you lift the lip, it's got what is called an anther cap, and that's where all the pollen is sitting. If you're able to hold, say, a needle or a pin or a chopstick or something like that, and just touch the anther cap, um, it separates quite easily. In fact, and use that to um, rub it against the surface of the uh, the stigmatic surface of the same flower, which is just underneath, and and you can tell what it is because it doesn't look smooth. It actually looks a bit sticky and creamy color, and you just rub it over there, either the same flower or a different flower, and you just wait for seeds to take. But that's a very slow process. Uh, It's a bit of a a hidden game. (laughs) It it, it is a hidden miss, and it's not really reliable for beyond. I mean you can try, but something like this, the platycalis, for instance its they 're so tiny. How are you going to do it? Mm-hmm. They are self pollinating, and in nature, bees, moths, caterpillars walking all over it <laughs> would pollinate them, and they would sing, but generally, I think they just propagate by through their own rhizomes. It flowers, the flower stem comes up once the flowers are gone, the inflorescence comes up once the once all the flowers have died and the inflorescence. Um, the plant basically retreats to itself and starts putting out side shoots. The rhizome just crawls over. And you can chop and prop any of this, by the way. Um, You can cut any of these um, and just make sure you've got a node and leaf and uh, prop them in either water or through uh, moss. And you have a new plant and plant it back in. So it's very easy to... You can propagate at home. Um, it's just not going to give you the kind of scale you want in the time. You know, if you want it quickly, uh,
0: <laughs>
1: that's that, that's not going to happen because plants are slow.
0: Yeah, and, exactly. You've got to be sort of patient, waiting for uh, things to happen. But I mean, I think any way that you can propagate plants always adds. To your knowledge yeah. and helps you to yeah. understand them more, doesn't it? Because yeah. you get to, to intimately know the plant.
1: The uh, only way to learn is actually by trying, mm-hmm. right? Give it a try. If mm-hmm. it fails, so what? Try again. Try <laughs> exactly. again. Try again.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's been really fascinating to chat to you about this. And as ever, I now want a whole load of jewel orchids. And I'm thinking about my son's fish tank, which is now empty of fish. I'm wondering if like, I might be able to seal it off him for my... New jewel orchid collection, <laughs> <laughs> but it's really fascinating to see what you're doing, and I'm really excited to see that um, you're turning this into a new source of jewel orchids for certainly for UK um, growers. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah I'm,
1: I'm I'm very interested in um, you know helping a lot more people discover the joy of jewel orchids. Yeah. Like I said, I'm really. I hate to use the word passionate, but it matters to me that these are ethically sourced and grown sustainably and what we do should not harm the nature that, you know, gave birth to us, right? Um, So I I do want to make these sort of things more available. I'm actually working on getting even more. uh, At the moment, I I think I have got about 11, 12 different varieties of jewel orchids and I'm actually working for more in the pipelines. Cool, cool, cool stuff. That is, is I've not seen in the UK and I'm so excited that, you know, hopefully in the, in the near future, I'll be able to bring this up, but I actually, am also interested in making sure this is available more widely. And of course I've got a website and of course I've got an Etsy shop just like everyone else, but I, I do want to make this more available widely to people, people, so that they can actually just go into their local garden center, see these things and say, Oh, I want to try that. I I want to learn more about this and I want to try it. I want to grow these things. And, you know, um, I don't know quite how I'm going to get there, but I would like to make that. Well, happen. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs>
0: excited for your ambition and just tell everyone how, how to find you on the various platforms.
1: Just. Yeah, for, sure. I mean, we will uh, put it I'm in the more, show notes, but it's good I to will, have it. Yeah. Um, I'm probably more active on Instagram than any other social media um, at this point in time. So, uglyplantling is the handle. Uh, just one word. Uh, think of ugly duckling and just replace <laughs> the duckling with plantling. <laughs> um, and um, if you find me on Instagram, then you've got my website because it's all linked up on Instagram anyway.
0: But the website is also www.uglyplantling.com fantastic well thank you so much for sharing your jewel orchids with me and i'm fascinated to see how this develops because i want to see jewel orchids in every garden center too how exciting is that Uh, i want to make
1: that happen i really want to make that happen if possible yeah it should be so commonplace i think everybody should be growing jewel orchids the world needs more jewel orchids yeah i
0: think that's a very good positive (laughs) note to end on thank you so much
1: (laughs) thanks jane really appreciate it
0: Thank you to Reshma. And if you've missed any of those Latin names, then please do check the show notes at janeperone.com for all the details about ugly planting and the plants we've talked about today. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can listen to an Extra Leaf interview with Reshma that goes into much, much more detail about the fascinating world of tissue culture and how Reshma is trying to bring an ethical and sustainable approach to her business via the medium of tissue culture. That's all for this week's show. I'll be back next Friday. I hope you'll join me then. Bye. The music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops, The Road We Used to Travel When We Were Young by Kumiku, and The Encouragement Stick by Dr. Turtle. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit the show notes for details.